The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in August 2006. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by Ruben Santiago Hudson. Ruben, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Interesting uh, uh, background. Ruben, of course, has been on Broadway in a number of shows, including a show called Seven Guitars, for which you won the Tony Award a decade or so ago, and now off-Broadway directing the same show. You've made the transition from the actor in the show to the director of it. How does that feel? Uh, uh, Well, it's it's, it's really like uh, a blessing is the easiest way I can say it because uh, the natural progression of what I've been doing the last 30 years in involving myself in the theater uh, foremost. Uh, Naturally, at this point, I think I should be directing, and I spoke to August about it, and he he confirmed that and uh, put my name at the top of the director's list, and lo and behold, I'm directing. Uh, August Wilson, who is the playwright. Yes, August Wilson, the playwright of of the whole... uh, well, it must be kind of interesting. You certainly know the material, having been in it. And now you see a different actor in the same role that you had mm-hmm. back then. Uh, what kind of insight or direction can you give that person? Uh, first of all, uh, you know, uh, my journey was with uh, August Wilson, the playwright, and Lloyd Richards, the, uh, the incredible director uh, and teacher and master teacher. Uh-huh. Uh, so all the things that he had given me, I try to, to, to keep and, uh, and give to, to uh, Kevin Carroll, who's playing my role came well in Seven Guitars. So I gave him the foundation of what Lloyd gave me and then I allowed him the opportunity to grow into it and breathe life into it for himself and create the role for himself. I, I always told him that uh, what I did is hopefully written in the stone and it's there and now it's another stone next to it that should have his name on it so it's, it belongs to him. I'm the director now. I have to deliver the whole play and not one one role. Mm. Well, you mentioned that, that August Wilson himself said he thought you were ready to do this. August, of course passed away far too young uh, last October and was ill for, for a period before that. And you went, you directed Gem of the Ocean, mm-hmm. was your first work uh, on August's plays as a director. But what was the conversation with August? How did how did he say he felt you were ready to do this? Well, well, actually, it was it was kind of odd. Uh, we were in tech rehearsal for Gem of the Ocean on Broadway. And I, I'm the kind of actor that I never, like, go and w- watch games and stuff. I always stay right with the play in the process and I just love it and so I was in the audience all the time when they were trying to work out problems and he he would see me there you know looking and looking and he finally came to me once and he says so okay fix it I know you fixed it I said I fixed it three or four times three or four different ways so he laughed and he said okay well tell me one and I told him and his jaw kind of dropped and he said did you tell the director and I said no I would never as an actor tell the director anything and he said well I said but when I direct it that's what I'm going to do. He said, well, when are you going to direct it? I said, well, when I get on the list, he said, you're on the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And within two months, Emily Mann, uh, the artistic director over at the McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey, a major uh, regional theater, uh, called me and said, what do you want to do next? I said, direct. And she just started laughing. She said, exactly what I want you to do. What do you want to direct? I said, Gem of the Ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, and almost three years later, I'm still directing August. Uh, I need to take a break, I think, now and try to do some other things. People forgot I was an actor and a writer. But uh, it's just been a joy. When you did Gem of the Ocean at McCarter, it was pretty fast on the heels of the Broadway production. There was, I think, not even a year between the time you were in the show and then you directed it. How do you transition from a show that you were in and in a superb production of and the original production of 
to then interpreting it yet again, whether it's Gem of the Ocean or now Seven Guitars, which obviously had a bit of distance between them. Because when I was in it, I was interpreting it. You know, as, my head became more than an actor's head after 20 years in the, of doing this. You know, every time I looked at anything, I always looked at it from, uh, first of all, foremost, what my job was as an actor. As an actor, I would look at it. But my brain had grown larger than that. The muscle had got larger. So I was looking at it as a director. And I always directed plays in my mind. You know, and, and whether I said anything to anyone or not, I knew or felt I knew the solutions and knew uh, by listening to Lloyd uh, Richards and by listening to August, I, I felt that I knew and understood exactly whether I was right or wrong, but I thought I understood what they what they wanted. Were there different solutions that you felt were there than the ones in the productions that you'd been in? Yes. How would you say your productions differ? Well, uh, I think my productions, uh, they just add on. I take what is given and then I add on. I have, it's another layer that I have. Uh, but my whole, the whole thrust of what I do as a director is clarity. Clarity, truth. You know, and I learned that from the people I've studied with. But then I add on another element. I add on this this original music that I have composed by Bill Sims Jr. And he's been working with me, collaborating with me for the last three, four shows. And I add on that, which tells another story of the African-American uh, journey in America, the musical journey where we tell our stories. Because prior, we, we weren't writing, writing history books. So I think the music is an integral part of what we do and what we say about who we are as African-American people. So I add that element. It's not random. It's real specific when you see my productions, what the music is saying, because it goes along directly with the play and says something. It d doesn't fill in empty spaces. It says something, something in those empty spaces that lead to the progression and the impact of the, of the theatrical piece. Well, this show, Seven Guitars, uh, you're about midway in the run. It runs through September 23rd mm -hmm. here at the uh, Signature Theater on West 42nd Street in New York. For our radio audience who may not be familiar with the work, can you explain a little bit about the storyline, the seven characters who are the seven guitars, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, and basically what, what the show is about, 1948 in Pittsburgh? Well, well, to put it in a nutshell, it's about a blues singer uh, uh, who puts out a record and ends up locked up in 1948 for 90 days. And while he's locked up, the record comes out and becomes a huge hit. So he comes and try to straighten, tries to straighten his life out to get the woman that he's, that he's uh, you know, broke, broken apart from and kind of uh, was not real kind to. And he wants to relive his life, but in a better way. He wants to do it right. He gets a redo, as I always tell him. And so he tries to do it right. He gets his band. He gets his woman. He goes to record again because he has another, another recording contract uh, on the heels of this hit. And what happens is he ends up getting getting murdered. And so what we do is start at the result, the murder, the funeral, and then we take you through the days leading to that. And it's just a, it's a reveal kind of play. Just continually you reveal and discover moments and beats that happened prior to his death. And But what August Wilson does so incredibly beautiful and colorful and exciting is that his language is uh, monumental. It's, it's so creative and beautiful, his poetry, that you get to hear these people wax this beautiful language. And then I add on this music, and then I add on this incredible, hopefully what I think is an incredible light scheme with Jane Cox's lights, the lighting director, and the costumes of Karen Perry. And the, so I add, I embellish it with this beauty, this foundation, and let them build August's words on top of it. And But what happens is Floyd ends up, ends up dead, and I show you what happened. I take you right to that death. 
well, he's the central character, but the other six characters also have their own interesting life stories, their own interesting problems, be it Red, be it uh, King Headley, be it any of the others. So there's several different storylines really going on besides the, the basic y- line. Yeah, the seven guitars, everybody plays, everybody, August writes everybody an aria. You get to sing your life, your song, your story. And everybody sings it, but it's only two individuals in that play that everything, uh, well, actually Floyd, everything evolves and revolves around Floyd. He is the driven one. He is determined uh, to succeed and willing to die to do so, and he does die. But the thing is, everybody else, they're drifters. They're waiting. They wait for the impetus. They wait for the that spark, which is Floyd, who says, we will move forward. And, and you need that one person to pull you. And that one guitar pulls those those, those other six, and you got to seven, but they all get to play their songs, in, uh, which is beautiful the way August Wilson uh, delivers it in his writing. Well, Floyd has decided to take charge of his, his future, of his life, and, and make something of himself. Yes. Basically. Yeah. Yes. Now, this this play comes about midway in a 10-play cycle that August Wilson wrote, basically portraying African-American life in America from about 1900 through the end of the, the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, the first show was Gem of the Ocean, went through, I guess, Radio Golf, ended the, the, yes. the cycle. And this one set basically midway in it. What, what, what can you tell us about August Wilson as a person? What, what was he like? Well, the, th- the thing I think foremost uh, I loved about August is his love for the people, for our people. He loved us, and he wrote plays that showed how much he loved us because he let the common man, the salt of the earth man and woman, be heroes. He let them be be kings and queens in their own arena. He, he instilled an integrity in every character on that stage that says, I am somebody, and I count, and I'm worthy. And my most, uh, I guess, uh, my worst qualities are redeemable, whatever they may be, whether I'm a liar or a thief or just an angry person or whatever I have about me that you might not like or might not think is is something that's valuable. It's redeemable. I can correct it. I can make it better. And so I just thought that he loved the people. And that's why I was so attracted to his work, because I played so many roles where the writers didn't seem that they loved me. The producers that produced me didn't seem to love me. August does. And it empowers me. Did he draw on his own life experience for his characters and his storylines, do you think? Of course, the stories that he heard, uh, right. they are not based on one person in particular. Most of the times, bl- from my discussions with him, they're based on a lot of people and they put them together and bring the impact of, of one character on stage. As you talk about the community, those of us who've had the opportunity to see the cycle unfold over over the past 20-some-odd years realize that there was a community that surrounded August, certainly created in part by Lloyd Richards, the first director, the director who discovered him, but then actors like yourself, Stephen Henderson, Rock Dutton, who were involved in the creation of this work do you feel a part of a fraternity yes. in doing this work? And now that, that August is gone, where do you all see your roles? Well, you know, it's it's like it's more than a fraternity. It's a family. It's a family. And there's a certain respect. When you see an August Wilson actor across a room at a premiere of some huge universal film that they're starring in, whether it's Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne, or whether it's Delroy Lindo, or whether it's Keith David, or, or, or whoever it is, it's a respect. We look at each other and know that we're part of that family. And there is such a thing now as an August Wilson actor. Yes, it is. is. And everyone is not that because you, you have a certain pigment in your skin doesn't mean you can do August Wilson. You know, it's because you're black, you can't do August Wilson. You have to learn the style, the ways 
the, the way they stand, the way they talk, the way they walk. This is a culture. He captures a culture and lets you, allows you as an artist to breathe life into it. You can capture a culture in a William H. Johnson painting. You can capture a culture in a, a Paul Lawrence Dunbar poem. But to put it on stage and let it breathe, let blood throw, flow th- through the veins is an August Wilson thing. And so you become an actor, a person who who lives inside of these people, and he allows you as an actor to grow. You fill out the suit. When he writes the play, he knows more about every character than anybody could imagine. Then he, then he hires or, or becomes, uh, in collaboration with Lloyd Richards, this is how I got involved, uh, the director. And Lloyd, all of a sudden, becomes equal to August in knowing these people. Then they hire an actor, and he allows you, he gives you that and says, this is what we know about this character. Now, what do you know about him? And he allows you to grow. And the way Lloyd Richards, the director, did that is he would put you on almost an 18-month tour where you would go from city to city growing in this character, wearing his hat, tilting it to the side, wearing his shoes, feeling his pain, his joy. So you, then all of a sudden, August starts writing, leaning toward you, the things you say, the discussions you have, your style, but within the context of him trying to capture and celebrate a culture, you know, which is this this culture that that is uh, from the African-American experience in this country. How do you now impart that? Your style, I read an interview, you said your style is a little different than Lloyd's. Lloyd was very quiet, very understated. Mm -hmm. How do you now impart the August Wilson style to actors? If I get too quiet like Lloyd, everybody gets scared and wonders what's wrong with me. (laughs) But what I do a lot of Lloyd, I do a lot of Lloyd. You know, it's a different style, but it's the same principles. Truth, clarity, the script is the Bible. You know, respect, responsibility, you know, all the things that Lloyd said to me, which I have written down. I wrote hundreds of pages of notes from Lloyd, you know, and I I, when I'm in rehearsal every day, the cast loves when I open my book and I give them what I call a Lloydism. I will quote him. And we should point out for our audience that doesn't know Lloyd's work, Lloyd was the founder of the National Playwrights Conference, the O'Neill Theater Center, for a little over a decade, was the artistic director of Yale Rep, and indeed, going back in his career, I believe was the first African American to direct a play on Broadway, and uh, the original director of Raisin in the Sun. So a a major figure for African Americans in the theater, and in this continuum of people just as August is is a milestone, so is Lloyd. And a great and Lloyd Lloyd, which was also a great teacher. And he was he was Lloyd was security. When you looked over at Lloyd, no matter who was attacking you, no matter what critic was attacking you, no matter what audience person didn't give you a stand ovation, no matter who stood and said, I don't like these this play or these people, no matter what happened, you looked to Lloyd and that sense of calm, that sense of that regal sense of I'm the mentor, I'm the father here, and I will wrap my wings around you and you all will hatch into beautiful, beautiful swans, you know. And that was Lloyd, you know. Well you talk about in, in rehearsal, uh, quoting Lloydisms. What what is a Lloydism? Just in, intelligent, uh, 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 um, caring, responsible words that he would say to you. He would remind you constantly of what you were doing, what your duty was, what your responsibility was to this character and to these people and to this culture. You know, simply he would say, uh, he like once he said to 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 uh, to us, he said, <laughs> you know, take bad choices and remove them and replace them with more appropriate choices. And that's a simple thing, but he's speaking to your character. If you did something that you think your character wouldn't do, 
if I kissed uh, 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 this man's wife in, in front of him and I knew that he was a dangerous man, would my character actually do that? Mm-hmm. Or was I more dangerous than him and wanted to provoke a fight? So that's just an example. But mm-hmm. he would just say things like that. Or what happens to those people up there, meaning the stage, is a hallmark of who you are. That's a Lloyd quote. You know, so that means you were responsible. You can't go up there and clown, you know, as a character or as an actor, because it's a hallmark of who you are. And that's that's a big statement. And you take it and discern what it means. Now, Howard used the term before a uh, an August Wilson actor. When you cast this show, you also directed Gem of the Ocean a couple years ago on Broadway. What do you look for in an actor? How do you cast those shows? Not on Broadway. No. In two regions, I was in it on Broadway, oh, okay. but I, I, I uh, actually directed at, at the McCarter, McCarter Theater McCarter, okay. and ACT San Francisco. Well, when you did the, directed that and this, what do you look for in an actor? Well, first of all, a command of the language, that you can handle the language, and if not, that I can teach you and show you and lead you down that path on how August Wilson's work should be interpreted, in my opinion. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, August gave me his blessing, so that was enough for me to think that I, I knew what I was doing. Mm. Whether I do or not is only people that come to see. But... Uh, can you handle the language? Do you love these people? Are you committed to them? Do you feel the responsibility you have on every time you walk on that stage of celebrating a culture, of instilling integrity in every every person on that stage? He takes a garbage man, Troy Maxson, in fences and has him talk talk to death and say, come on, death. I'm going to build a fence around my family. He takes an elevator operator, uh, Reverend Avery, in piano lesson and has him challenge a ghost. Come on, I'll take you on. He takes a salt of the earth people. He takes a man selling watermelons in piano lesson, a uh, boy Willie, and says, I want to buy some land so I can be somebody. Self-empowerment. He takes Headley, who everybody thinks is crazy, who's selling chicken sandwiches and chopping chicken's heads off, so the black man is a king. That's integrity. Because these people, people pass by on the street and throw rocks at and say, look at that bum. And then they walk into an arena and say, I am worthy. I'm somebody. That's responsibility. So you don't look at that at Headley as just a crazy man if you play Headley. You got to love Headley and say, I believe what he's saying. You know, and that's integrity. So how do you find these actors then that, that, that have that feeling, that have that belief? Well, I, I've been doing this a long time, and I've walked down the path with a lot of them, and I've seen them, and I've been across the stage from them or seen them in things or worked with them, and I say, well, one day i I got to get you in something. And now that I'm directing, I take the opportunity to get them in something. I put them right in there. So like a Stephen McKinley Henderson, somebody you've worked with in the past that you know him? I studied w- with, with Lloyd, with Stephen. He, he was my acting partner in one of Lloyd Richards' classes. Uh-huh. And I said, this is an amazing cat. And then when I saw Stephen McKinley Henderson in an August Wilson play, actually do one of my monologues that was taken from me in Seven Guitars, I was like, I love this guy. He made that work, and I loved it. Who also happens to be a college professor in Buffalo. And University of Buffalo, yes. <laughs> He's the first guy I cast in the play. It was a sense of security. I knew looking at Stephen that I, I was looking at Lloyd that I was looking at August Wilson and I said they put Stephen right here now he's not the major character the mm. main character but one of the ensemble of, of major characters it's interesting that a few minutes ago you said you want to take a bit of a break from from August and, and do some other things but you've also said you would like to direct the complete cycle yourself direct all 10 plays and I would like it very much and, I, and, I, and that's a goal of mine and I will I want, I want to direct all of them and I want to be in all of them so that's a lifetime of work for me. August left a, a lifetime of work for me to do, as well as all actors that, that love his work. Would you be in the show yourself? Would you direct yourself in the show? No, I would not. It's not. It's not. It's not fair. It's not right. I don't think it is. You know, I've seen it happen. I've been in shows with directors who are on stage with me, and I would look across at them sometimes and say, "Man, learn your stuff." And it's not right. It's not fair. But I, you know, I find the right directors, or if they chose me, and and I would be in the productions. I find it interesting that. August, as we know, wrote 
all but one of the cycle plays set specifically in the Hill District of Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh as an industrial town that certainly had to transition out of its industrial past. And in your life, you uh, have written now, of course, Lackawanna Blues, also set in an area where it was transitioning from, from an industrial world to whatever was going to be next. Do you think there's a link between your upbringing and the world that August grew up in? Without a doubt. Very close. When I first auditioned, uh, both Steel Towns, and I spent a great deal of my youth in Pittsburgh, Clareton, Pennsylvania, is a lot of my family, McKeesport, Pittsburgh, the Hill. My mother's from there. My mother was from there, my birth mother. And so every summer I spent years there. It was very similar to Lackawanna, New York, which was a steel town. So uh, August and I grew up listening to the same music, when I say music, stories from the similar people, hobos, uh, steel workers, uh, uh, ex-cons, uh people that ran businesses, uh, the whole plethora of, 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 of African-American society that came up through the 30s and 40s and the 20s that had the same stories, you know, about going to jail for spitting on the sidewalk, you know, about uh, 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 the uh, injustices that, that America had, had, had given them, and yet they survived and overcame it and decided to make something better, to show that I'm better than what you think I am, and that made them strive to a high level. So August and I listened to the same poets, the street poets, the lamppost guys, the lean on the lamppost and said, come here, young blood, let me tell you something. You know, uh, uh, he, he listened to stories in, in the cigar shop, in the restaurants, in the shoe shine stands. I lived in a restaurant, shoe shine stand, and cigarette shop. That's what Nanny had. That's what, that was 32 Austin Avenue. That's like a one of blues. I lived in the same places that he frequented as a, as a little kid and learned and talk to these people. We talk to the same people. So when he first heard me audition, he wrote a note, which he subsequently showed me years later. that said, August Wilson, ac- actor, same music. Same music that, that he had. And that got me in seven guitars. Well, tell us it's that same music, the impulse that, that brought you to write first the one-man show, Lackawanna Blues. At that point, you'd been an actor. We, we knew you as an actor. Were you doing any writing before... Lackawanna Blues? No, no. I tried so the, in college, and the professor said I wasn't a writer, and I should just take it and throw it in the garbage. So, so how did you start to make your own music by creating that show? Well, you know, I, I was always singing stories, uh, telling stories about Nanny and the place I lived, and all all the characters there, uh, and how much I cherished and loved that they had all instilled a confidence in me that I could make something of myself and that I should, and they would not allow me to fail, and. Um, I kept telling these stories, and finally, uh, John Diaz at the Public Theater and, and Rosemary Titchler and, uh, were listening to my stories. and said, have George heard these? I said, me and George are good friends. George heard a lot of my stories. She said, well, let's you're go. You're speaking of George Wolfe, George the artistic Wolf. director at the time. Yeah, he yep. was. Uh, and so I went down to the public. Uh, John Diaz took me in. He said, George, you ever listen to these stories? Ruben says, yeah, I've heard them. He said, listen to some of this. And I started talking. And George said, you need to just shut up and write it. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, well, I'm not a writer. And I think a week later, he sent me a commission. You know, and I took the little 50 cents that they sent me and uh, uh, said, wow, I, I'm committed. You know, I take this and I got to do something now. And so they gave me a room at the public theater, uh, Joe, Joe Pat Public Theater here in New York. And I sat there with a one lamp, a bunch of pencils and some yellow pads in my harmonica and started trying to write these stories. And mm-hmm. hence, uh, you know, like one of blues, uh, OB and Emmy winning uh TV. Well, you, you make it sound so easy to go from OB to Emmy. You had the opportunity. Again, you say you'd not been a writer, but you had the opportunity to adapt 
your one-man stage piece that you created for yourself to perform Mm -hmm. for something that was going to portray this entire world. What was the transition for you in in rethinking the work? Not – it was always for many voices, but it was always for what it had been for one performer to have the opportunity to have it. Well, enacted by so many. It's more than anything. It's the people around you. It's the people who support you. You know, it's the George C. Wolves and Loretta Greco and and a Bill Sims Jr. and the people around me that would not allow me to not do it. That you must do this. We need to hear this. And that and 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 you know and John Diaz. I mean, people that would look at my writing and say, "Well, what does this mean? What are you saying here? And how does that fit into your story? Do we need it? And what do we need? Do we need more?" And it's the people around me. You know, I'm, I'm a product of them. You know, it's like I could never have done it without without them making me do it and and, and demanding that I reach as high as I possibly could at all times. And so uh, that's what I am. You know, and that's the reality of it. Uh, I have the talent and I have the stories. And if Nanny didn't live the life, none of us would have reaped the awards of it. And if and if I don't put it down on paper, none of us would have reaped the awards. And if they hadn't said, you must do this, maybe it never would be done. And how about August Wilson? What, if any, influence has he had on your, on your writing and your writing style? Tremendous. Because he, for the first time, I saw that it was important, the things that we had to say as African-American people. And we could talk. You know, when people saying, shut up, no, you can't talk, you know, that our lives were important. When I walked into Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and saw the first August Wilson play I saw, and I heard those people on the stage saying things that seemed so familiar to me. And it was it was as if, you know, I, w- I was like in a little daze for a minute. It was as if the words were like dancing on the tongues of these actors and leaping into the audience right into my heart and grabbed me and shook me. And I said, that's me. They're talking about the people I know. I want to be a part of this. Where do I fit? How do I get in? Who do I need? You know. And he said, it's okay for us to talk. Write down a character and let them talk. He always said that to me. Let your character speak. Don't be afraid. Uh, you know, somebody asked me the other day, does August Wilson ever write a short play? I said, well, you know, I've been acting. I've done over 100 plays myself as an actor, and I've been in plays with two intermissions. And I've been in plays longer than August by guys named O'Neill and Brecht and Chekhov and Shakespeare. And no one ever asked me that about them. Don't ask me that about August. He's sacred to me. He means a lot to me, you know. We keep talking about music. Music comes up over and over, and it it bears noting that as an actor, you made your Broadway debut in a musical, Jelly's Last Jam. Mm. How did uh, how did that come about? Because you had been you'd been doing all of this acting, you know, for years, but but coming into a big Broadway musical, which is not something we've seen you do since. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a strange kind of kind of actor. You know, once I do something, and I think I've been to the mountaintop, then I want to do something different. You know, I said, when I come back to Broadway, I want to come back to Broadway in a drama. And I want to be in August Wilson. And I just kept digging and kept digging and kept digging until the opportunity came. But, you know, with Ruben Santiago Hudson, nothing, speaking of myself, the people don't know this, this is me. But uh, um, nothing really comes the way you think it's supposed to come. It comes in a strange way. I was in L.A. Uh, doing a pilot for television, and George was staying next door at the hotel next door, George C. Wolf, and he pulled up in a car. He was sitting in the back seat. I forgot who was driving. He said, I'm doing a workshop at this play that I'm writing called Jelly's Last Jam. Why don't you come in and, and sing and read? I said, I'm not here for that. I'm here to do TV. I'm, you know, I'm trying to make a, a couple dollars before I die, you know? And he says, no, well, come, just come and, come and meet us. I said, well, George. And he said, well, if you don't come, don't ever speak to me again. You know, me and George had this kind of relationship that we liked. I mean, it wasn't personal. That's how we are with each other. And I tell him, man, I've sat on his steps and handed him a script that I want him to read. But anyway, so I said, okay, I'll show up. I show up. I said, but I'm not going to sing and I'm not going to. So I go in and in the middle of the discussion, we talked about it. And the woman who was doing the music says, you're not going to sing anything, not even happy birthday. I said, uh, well, not really. She said, oh, I don't know who you think you are. I said, well, do you know the blues? And the woman looks at me and says, 
I, I have the blues. I've been married to a man and gave me the blues for 12 years. I said, well, put it in E like this. And, and so, and so she, uh, Luther Henderson, who was doing the music, said, E natural or E flat. Now, I don't know anything about music. So I look over at, at George, and George kind of shrugged, and I said, uh, uh, natural. And I started singing the blues. Uh, and I was I did the workshop for two weeks there with them, obviously. And uh, and they did another work. We kept I just stayed in. It. I fell in love with it. And and it came to Broadway. Uh, I played Buddy Bolden, uh, the great cornet player, Nolan's cornet player. Um, uh, and the rest is history. I mean, he it, it was a huge role that he cut down to a cameo, but a delightful cameo, a wonderful opportunity to be on Broadway. And um, I stayed with it and, and reaped the benefits of, of, of becoming best friends with Gregory Hines and a great cast of actors. And um, it was just a, it was it was a joy. Speaking of the blues in your current production of Seven Guitars, you have a lot of blues. Bill Sims figuring in that quite prominently. Bill Sims is the master blues man. I mean, he's one of the unsung heroes of today's blues. I mean, you, you hear a lot of other guys and a lot of names you could bounce off the tip of your tongue. And you think out of big blues guys. Bill's is, Bill is the man. That's why I have him with me all the time. And I don't know if you caught that harmonica that I was playing on there. Mm-hmm. Myself, I played oh, harmonica. You were playing that? Yeah, I'm the harp player. You know, I learned how to play harp when I did Canewell. Uh-huh. But uh, the other harp player is Matthew Scholar, who was my harmonica teacher when I started in Chicago in 1994 with seven guitars. And we stayed in contact, became friends, and I asked him to come in and be a part of this. So he plays all the beautiful harp. All the rough stuff is me. I should point out for the radio audience that have not seen uh, your production that prior to the show starting, there's a good deal of blues music playing over the audio system in the theater. And then... As the house lights dim, several minutes of just basically setting the mood, I guess, with with blues playing. I want I want you to hear the song that caused all this commotion. Uh-huh. I want you to hear the family, the community in this song, the way they melt together. That's Matthew Scola's playing playing harmonica. Matthew Scola on that one, uh-huh. and he's just one of the top harmonica players in the country. And I don't know if you. And then I don't make it fancy, and I just break it down, and you hear it boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, and you hear that harmonica, and sometimes you just break it and Bill hit one note. Ding, 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 ding. And that's the blues. It's a story in that. So that's what the whole commotion is about. The beauty, people heard this and said, this is a hit. I feel this in my heart. And somewhere in there, I'm hoping you as an audience member, that some little snippet of it hits you for a minute and say, ooh. You know, whether it did or not, I don't know. I'm not going to ask you that question. But <laughs> both, uh, both literally and figuratively setting the stage. Yes, yeah, set it. And then I let you just look at this 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 house mm-hmm. with no life in it, waiting for a heartbeat, this skeleton. And then all of a sudden the lights go down and here comes a heartbeat. You know, it's a style. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a style, you know. And uh, I, I laugh about it because I get giddy watching it sometimes. I see as an audience member, oh, I see what this guy is doing. I see what this director is trying to do. And then you lapse into it, and then from for the next two hours and in, 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 in a half, it's a whirlwind. But I let I let it just sit on you. Remember this song, because you're going to hear it a lot of times, little bits of it throughout this play. You know, he got us back into it, coming back from intermission again, setting the stage. But this time in. with his vocal. Mm. First time, no vocal, because that's what's missing. That's what's missing in this play. The begin, he's gone, so he you have no vocal. I just let you hear the the foundation of it. Then the second act, since he's there now, you hear the vocal because he's in the middle of his race. He's in the middle of trying to get to his his, his, uh, his success. Floyd, we're talking about Floyd. Yeah. Floyd Barton, yeah, the, the, uh, the central character. Yeah. yeah. You now have so many avenues in which to express yourself: acting, which you've been doing for years; now writing; now directing; and in 
preparing for this, I read that you there was a book a novel that you wanted to option and that there might be a sitcom that you were developing. What what are the new horizons for for Ruben Santiago Hudson? Well, uh, um what I what I'm what what I want to do is I want to do all of August's stuff obviously uh, as a writer. Let me, let me put it this way. The the thing that, that's most important to me right now is changing the distorted images of my people. The 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 images of my people when you look on TV and film are so distorted. It's so one dimensional of who we are, and if I have a if I have a, a a chance an opportunity to change that a little bit, the way August has in theater, you know, when you come to see the way I talk about the integrity of the people, uh, if I can do that even on a bigger scale in in television and film and theater, then I think my living would not be in vain. I would have done, I think, supported supported my ideas uh, uh, of of who we are as a people in the images that that I think we should have projected how whole we are, how we want the same things as everybody else, how honest we are, how much integrity we have, how brilliant we are, how angry we are, how, how disdainful and magnificent we are. And that's what I want to do. It's like every time I look up, we, you know, I've been an actor and, and I've done a lot in the last 30 years. I've done a lot of TV films and I've done a lot of major feature films. The only place that I'm whole is on stage. I'm the same thing in, in 40 films. I'm a cop or a robber. You've never seen me go home and hug my wife and said, I love you and I love these two kids. And ain't nothing I, I won't do to show you that. You know, never, ever, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm one dimensional. You know, I, I, how many times have I ever been the hero in anything you've seen on film? On stage, I'm always the hero. Somewhere or another, you see me whole, you see me cry and laugh. And that means a lot to me. Does television give you more opportunity than film? Or is it the same? I think television is a little more accessible than film because I don't know how any film ever gets done, to be quite honest with you. You know, some of the junk I see out there and then some of the great films I see not get done because I get a lot of scripts. And I look at read some sometime and I say, man, this will never get done. It's too good. It's just too good. You know, I think television gives you more opportunities because it's more. It's, you got cable. You got network. You got more opportunities to do things. Uh, and I think they're uh, a little more open mindedness in some areas in TV than in film. Um, I'm still learning them, though. I'm still I'm new to all that. Because we've seen you, you've done television produced by Halle Berry, produced by Oprah Winfrey. I mean, you some some really major names in order to get this kind of work done. Do you, are more doors opening for you now with the success of Lackawanna Blues in particular? Not the way I would like, but yes, yes, but not the way I like. The things that I want to say, the ears close up real fast. Uh, the stories I want to tell. H Hollywood is driven by by finance. Uh, theater used to be, uh, at least off Broadway, still is driven by art. The beauty of art, the exploration. Theater brings people together m faster and better in, 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 uh, than anything else. Because you go home with people you've never gone home with. You know, you, you, you sit and realize the lives and see the hearts of people that you've never really sat with. And, 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 and it brings you together. You become interested in these people's culture. I mean, I see Filler on the Roof, I'm, I'm like, whoa. You know, when I see My Fair Lady, I'm like, wow, I don't know these people. They'll sound the music, but I love them. I love it. My kids sing these songs every day. I sing these songs every day. I sing Edelweiss. I, you know, I love this stuff. The sound of, so, but it, that brought me into these homes because I'm from a segregated community in Lackawanna, New York. We couldn't go across the bridge. Not until I got into the theater and got into university. First time I had a bagel was in the university. I said, I'm not going to eat a, eat a piece of bread. The guy dragged me down and had a bagel. The next day I was back. But this time I wanted locks. I wanted capers. <laughs> I wanted little onions. I wanted the whole deal. And every day I'm looking for a bagel. Now, I've never seen anything like that. 
We never had, we didn't even have a Chinese restaurant in Lackawanna, you know. So your world opens up in theater. Yeah, I read one interview or heard an interview with you where you said that the experience of the community and the family that you had, you didn't think was all that far removed in this example from the Italians. That I, I, no, I don't. I, th- I think people come and and, they, and and it was a time, especially in the African American community, where we had a real strong community and we bonded together and we had our own society because we couldn't go anywhere else. It was segregation and we couldn't go to this bank or that grocery store. So we had our own bank, our own grocery store, our own pharmacist, and we had heroes and people, uh, role models that we looked at. Oh, Doctor So and So, Doctor Dunn is a black doctor. You know, I didn't know that you can go to a white doctor. You know, in the fifties and the forties. But then all of a sudden we got an option. We took the option and ours died. You know, I didn't go to Miss Loretta's fish market anymore where, where she, the, the black lady had a fish market in Lackawanna. Uh, I didn't go to the, the black newspaper stand. I went over to the other one that was about two cents cheaper. But so all these people died out. All that died out, you know, because we were forced to have a community. We did real well in the community we were forced to have. Other people were that same way, too, but they weren't forced to have the community. The Italians came over and had their own areas. Uh, the, the, the Jewish folks had their own areas. The Chinese had their own areas. Uh, African uh, families had their own areas. Uh, then, and they still, they still have those. But the black communities just started kind of like, like, kind of like falling apart. And it's like, well, how do we glue it back together? And Lackawanna Blues and August Wilson plays are reminders of how we took care of each other. The need we had to go into that environment, that arena, and look at each other and say, man, I love being with you. Now, I will fight you as as hard as I love you, but I'm never going to let nothing separate us because we need to. You understand me. You're putting a measuring stick up on how high I can reach. If somebody else put the measuring stick up, I'll never reach that height. He'll never let me measure up to them. But I put the measuring stick out and I let, like, the guy that's playing Kane well measure up to me. I don't want him to be less than what I was as Kane well, and I want the Tony. I want him to be more. And the next guy that he gives Kane well to, I want to be more. It will grow. And so going back to a question you asked a long time ago, we take August's lessons and Lloyd Richards' lessons and we keep them. They don't die because they're gone. We pass them on. You know, I add mine on to and I add George C. Wolfe's and I add Douglas Turner Ward, the great director from Negro Ensemble Company. And I add these lessons they taught me on to what I have and pass it on. Well, you talk about various roles that you've played, but others in general as being one dimensional and kind of stereotypical and all that. Uh, why do you think that is in film and, and, and television more so than in theater? We're not producing them. We're but, not producing them. But, We're not putting up the measuring stick. Uh-huh. You know, th- like you said, th- th- their eyes are watching God with Halle Berry and Oprah. Right. And we got a lot of black folks these days got big money. We need to understand the power of that money. And we need to understand that we need a voice coming through our speaker that we put the megaphone up. Somebody else's hand is not holding the megaphone. If we want to scream about who we are, let us hold the megaphone. So somebody is, uh, is an editing and, and censoring uh, how high we can reach and how strong and, and, and beautiful and, uh, we are. We need to produce we have the actors. We got the writers. You know, we need to put our money where our mouth is. We spend billions and billions of dollars on entertainment. You know, why hasn't hasn't, hasn't the big, big folks come out and, 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 and gave August Wilson a stamp of approval? How can Gem of the Ocean close in eight weeks? How can that happen? You know, how did Seven Guitars close at 80-some percent on Broadway and Ideal Husband ran for three, four months beyond us at 50 percent? Now, if our money was there, maybe we could say, you can't close us like this. Or, you can't close Gem in Black History Month. At least let y'all gave us 28 days. We're going to use all 28. Close us the first of March. But no, close us the second week of Black History Month with lines outside. And no one can tell me lines aren't outside because I'm looking at the numbers. I get the numbers. 
you know, on my deals now, I've worked with the little old man and worked his way to the numbers now. <laughs> but the thing is, my phone is ringing. I can't get tickets. I can't get tickets. I can't get tickets. There's a need to hear this because people want to be drawn back together. We ripped apart now. I'm talking about all the different colors. We want to know about each other. That's what makes New York City so great, that we all mingle together whether we want to or not. We are together, and it's the most tolerant place. And when you come to see, because you can go see an August Wilson, and, and, and then you can go see a completely different, you can go see a, a Wicked or something that takes you in a whole different realm. And then you can go see a Mother Courage, which is a totally mixed cast. You know, so that's New York City. But go to other places and see if you have that. No, no. But we need to put a stamp on our work. The people with power and money need to put that money out there and say, it's, it's got to be a trust level. You know, because if not, we can't keep depending on other people to do it. We just can't. So it kind of all comes down to money, which is one of the themes of Seven Guitars. Floyd has finally gotten some money, and other people want his money. It all comes down to money. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, somewhere in it, though, we have to realize what's important to us. And we have to people who have the same things that are important to them, the same ideology, the same things that matter, have to come together and say, you know, it's important that we do... All of 10 of August's plays in a two-year period, just straight on through. You don't have to come see it if you don't want to come see it. But that, that that's available. That somebody prints all of August's plays and puts it in all the schools. And we should say that Seven Guitars is the first of three of August's plays being done this season at Signature Theater here in New York. It's not the full cycle, but it is an opportunity for people to see several of the works. And then added on to that, uh, there is a pending production of August's final play, Radio Golf, looking to come to Broadway in the very near future. So at least four of the ten people here in New York will be able to see this season alone. And those other two shows that Signature is doing, uh, Two Trains begins performances in November, and King Headley II starts performances February of next year. Mm -hmm. On a slightly lighter note, um, on September 9th, which is a Saturday, the River to River Festival, subtitled August Wilson and the Blues, what, what what is that? You're, 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 we're you're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna do a tribute to August Wilson and the blues because he was so he was so influenced by the blues. Uh, so what 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 I'm doing? Uh, Jim Houghton and Signature Theater Company is putting together this evening, and they asked me to direct it. So I'm taking the words of August Wilson, mixing them in with obviously I have Bill Sims Jr. with me. Um, with the blues, songs from a lot of his plays. I'll throw in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I'll have uh, 12 Gates to the City from Jim. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom from, from uh, um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Go, uh, um, Berta Berta from Piano Lesson. Um, just songs from his plays, and you hear how they influenced August. Uh, also on that program, uh, James Blood Homer, uh, Vernon Reed. It will be extraordinary. Uh, it'll be down the River to River Festival down in Battery Park City at the castle down there where you get the tickets to go to the Statue of Liberty. At Clint Clinton Castle at Battery Park. Yes. <laughs> we should also point out the, the three shows currently running, Seven Guitars at the Signature Theater coming up in November, um, Two Trains Running, and in February of next year, King Headley II. All of those $15 one and only top price, $15 a ticket to get in to see those shows. Yeah, Pretty good I, deal. I, I must also warn you that uh, you come in there and get in, in, in the line and, and get the tickets because it's a huge demand. And most of the tickets are not available, but people fall off the wagon, can't make it into New York, you know, got another thing to do, and tickets become available. And on that note, Ruben Santiago Hudson, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ruben. 
For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you.